Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. church at the moment about having meals, about meals with Jesus. And um, as we all know, there are lots of meals in the Bible with Jesus. Lots to choose from, as we've mentioned in previous weeks. And probably you can quote this with me now. In the book of Luke, Jesus seems to be always at a meal, or going to a meal, or coming from a meal. You're going to hear that a lot over the coming weeks. And This summer, it seems like a time when we are recognising the importance of eating together, perhaps more than we ever have done before. After a long period of time where we weren't able to eat together, we weren't able to share meals with family and friends, um, and then we were allowed to have meals in people's gardens with six people in the rain. It was great. Um, And then we were allowed to go into people's houses and have meals together. And hopefully, well, definitely from tomorrow, it all relaxes and we can invite people around for meals in a more normal way. It seems an appropriate time to be looking at what we learn when we look at the meals that Jesus shared with the people who were around him. Last week, Andy looked at one of the least preached on meals in the whole Bible. Um, And this week I'm looking at one of the most preached on meals in the whole Bible. Perhaps one of the largest shared meals in the history of all time. Um, It presents as a big problem for the disciples. Now, Phil and I, we love having people over for food. We love getting people in our home. Uh, We like to be a little bit spontaneous, a little bit open-handed with that. And occasionally, I'll be honest, that has landed us in a spot of bother. And we have been panicking behind the scenes about whether or not we are going to have enough food. So, take for example Christmas 2017. We had been living in Manchester for uh, just a few months by this time, and we had a plan. We were going to have Christmas with my mum and dad, Phil's mum, my sister and her husband, and their three children. So for those of you doing the maths, that's already 12 people. Um, We then decided to uh, include our Iranian friend. He was living with my mum and dad at the time, so he came along as well. And at the last minute, we discovered that um, a young couple in the church with two small children were having Christmas by themselves, so we invited them as well. Um, We're now up to 17 people around our Christmas dinner table. Um, You can't actually see everybody on there because we had to put another little table at the back with all the little kids on um, because there just wasn't enough space. We were a little bit panicked about whether there was going to be enough food to go around. It was... Fantastic. It was chaotic. It was um, a little bit every man for himself, but it was wonderful. It was great fun. Um, It was definitely a stretch of whether there was going to be enough food. But even this example pales into insignificance when we look at the passage today that we're reading. We're going to be reading from Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. It will appear on the screen or you can look at it in your Bible, on your app, whatever. 
Let's read it together. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, and they said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. And he replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This story is included in every gospel. In every account of Jesus' life in the Bible, you find this story, and it's, the details are pretty much the same. A problem has presented itself. Jesus has tried to get some space, a bit of much-needed quiet time for him and the disciples. The disciples have just come back after their first experience of going out, preaching the gospel and healing the sick. They deserve a break. But it's not to be because the large crowd of people, they have followed them and soon it's late in the day and the crowd are far from home and hungry. There's 5,000 men. Now that means that with women and children, there's probably 10 to 15,000 people, more than we've got in this room today. Jesus has attended to their spiritual hunger. He's met their needs. He's healed the sick. He's taught them about the kingdom of God. And now the pressing problem is a physical one. All of these 10 to 15,000 people, they need to eat. They need food. And they're a long way from home. It's an impossible situation for the disciples to solve. Because as they search around, all that they can find is five small loaves of bread and two fish. This morning, I believe that through this story, this meal, Jesus wants to bring us to a point where our expectations are raised. As I speak, as I pull out some points from this passage, I believe that there's an invitation from Jesus to expect more. Whether it's realising God's ability to intervene in our own personal situations and problems, or whether it's expecting to see more people come to know Christ, there's an invitation for our expectations to rise this morning. So that's where we're headed. The first thing that I want us to see from this story is, is this. The bigness of the problem is not a problem. Now, can I be allowed to use the word bigness, please? <laughs> It's, I don't think it's grammatically correct, but it expresses what I'm trying to say. There is no problem. There is no problem that is too big for God. When feeding all of these people is a massive problem, it's actually impossible. It can't 
being done. But as God looked at this scene, as he looked at the problem as it unfolded, as he watched his son Jesus, and Jesus was seeing the need of the people, God was not standing there thinking, mm -mm -mm. no way, no way Jesus, no way Jesus, don't look at me, this one is too big. This requires breaking all kinds of laws of science and physics. No, I'm not doing this. This is not a problem I can solve. That is not how God viewed this problem. And that is not how God views any problem that you place before him. However big we think the situations are, however large the problems and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, they are not too big for God. When we come to Jesus, we come to the one who created heaven and earth. We come to the one who holds all things together. We come to the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. We come to the one whose name is above every other name. We come to the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We come to the source of all things. He's big. Come to the King of Kings. And most importantly, when we come to Jesus, we come to the one who lived a perfect life, who died a horrible death on the cross, and who rose again three days later. And in doing that, we come to the one who defeated sin and death for good, in order that we can come back into relationship with God. We just have to look at our own lives. For those of us in the room who love Jesus, the only reason that we can be here this morning, that we can sing his worship, is because he did a big thing in our lives. Because he did something that was too big for us to do. Because he won us. He saved us. He called us to himself. He brought us back into relationship with God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, be encouraged because he wants to do that for you too. He wants to bring you into a real, powerful, loving relationship with God the Creator of all things. So whatever situation you face or whatever problem you find yourself in, whatever the miracle that you need this morning, it's not too big for God. God is in the business of miracles. God has always been in the business of miracles. I'm going to take this opportunity, if you will indulge me, to tell you some stories of the big things that God has done. And we're going to start with this book, the Bible. He is the God who brought Israel out of captivity in Egypt, who parted the Red Sea so that people could walk across on dry land. He's the one who provided for a whole nation in the desert for 40 years. A few weeks ago, we saw that he's the one who saved and redeemed a woman called Ruth and provided for all her physical, spiritual and emotional needs. We saw a few weeks ago that he's the God who caused Gideon to win a battle with just 300 men, some torches, a bit of noise and some jars. Jesus turned water into wine when they'd run out of wine at a wedding. He calmed a stormy sea. He caused struggling fishermen to catch the biggest catch of their lives and almost sink their ship, boat. He healed the sick 
He raised the dead. If you're feeling like your situation is too big, have a little read of this book and see how big the problems are that God is able to solve. And he's still the God of miracles today. So many of us in this room can tell stories of God intervening, of big miracles, small miracles in our own lives. People, personal stories of God doing things that we thought couldn't be done. People being healed of illnesses, people being healed of even life-threatening conditions, watching family members get free from addiction when we thought that that was humanly just not possible. Seeing God provide financially when the, the situation was overwhelming and we had no idea where the funds were going to come from. Now, Phil and I, we've certainly experienced God's provision on lots of occasions. And I'm going to give just one very simple example of that. Uh, a number of years ago, Phil and I and our two kids, Hannah and Sophie, we lived in a country where you had to pay for school, you had to pay for, to see the doctor, you had to pay medical insurance. Um, even a routine trip to the doctor at that time was actually a big stretch financially for us uh, in the place where we were living at the time. And one day... Sophie had an accident. Now, for any of you who have known Sophie growing up at all, that will not be in the slightest bit a surprise to you. Sophie had an accident. She fell while she was climbing on the garden furniture. She bashed her head, cut her face open. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically, Phil was away at the time. And I knew that visits to A&E, accidents were not covered on our health insurance. This is the after effects. <laughs> Um, they weren't covered on our health insurance. I also knew that I didn't have cash to cover this. Um, what could I do? I've got a six-year-old child with blood pouring down her face. She's now looking drowsy and like she's about to pass out. A visit to A&E is necessary at this point. So I called a friend to drive us to the hospital. I gathered whatever cash I could find lying around the house probably managed to get around $20 together. Now, bearing in mind that we're living in a country where you can't just pay on your card, it's cash or nothing. And I knew that $20 is not going to cut it. A visit to the doctor's $25. Uh, an x-ray is at least $80, probably more in a hospital. So we arrived at the hospital. Uh, they took our medical insurance details. Sophie was checked out. X-rays were taken. Stitches were put in, as you can see there, um, and we were sent home, and no money was asked for. And the days and the weeks went by, and I was expecting a phone call, you owe us a large sum of money, which we didn't have, um, but it didn't come. Somehow, this thing that shouldn't have been covered on our medical uh, insurance had been covered and had been paid for. God had uh, done it somehow. Now, for those of us living in the UK, it seems like a really small thing. But when you live uh, in a third world nation and you don't have a regular income, that kind of thing is huge. It was massive. It was a situation that was too big for us to solve, um, and we really needed God to solve that problem and to provide for our needs. Now, some problems are bigger than others. Uh, in, there's a pastor in Bungoma in Kenya, his name is Wanilogo Wafula. Last year, due to the failure of the rains, the uh, locust swarms you might have seen on TV across Kenya, 
the crops failed and supplies were not getting through because of COVID restrictions in Kenya. People in the semi-arid area were dying of starvation. And uh, when Wanilova saw this suffering, it was huge. The problem was enormous. He saw this problem and he wanted to give from the little that he had to help solve it. So he began to pray. And a local Hindu uh, Indian grocery wholesaler also heard of the plight. He offered to Wanilova uh, 50, 10 kilogram bags of rice and some other food provisions. And now Wanilova needed 350 pounds in order to hire transport to drive this stuff out into the semi-arid areas. Um, a church in the UK sent him 960 pounds, which not only covered that trip, but covered getting some more provisions and going again a second time. One more story. Does anybody recognise? Have we got a... Oh, that's the food. Next one. <laughs> this guy. This guy is a man called Brother Yun. Some of you might have read his biography, biography uh, The Heavenly Man. In 1997, he was a prisoner in a high-security prison in China. Um, he had been beaten, tortured, imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus and because he kept telling other people about Jesus. No one had ever escaped from that prison. He was at the point where the beatings were actually so bad that he was now fearing for his life. And one day, he felt God tell him to get up and walk out. He said this, It was just before 8 o'clock in the morning of May the 5th, 1997. To the natural mind, this time of day was the worst possible time to try to escape. There was normally so much activity throughout the prison with all the guards at their posts. I shuffled out of my cell and walked towards the locked iron gate in the hallway. My mind was solely focused on obeying God. I looked straight ahead and prayed beneath my breath with every step that I took. He walked past the guards who seemed to look right through him. He got to the doors which were always kept locked and he found that they were inexplicably open or even held open for him by people who should have challenged him. Finally, he came to the main courtyard. He walked across the open space, straight out of the main gate of the prison, which had been left wide open, and into a taxi which pulled up just in time as if perfectly ordered for him. The bigness of the problem is not a problem. I want us to begin to believe that. Begin to allow your faith to grow, that even in your own circumstances, whatever they are, God is bigger. The second point that I want to make this morning is that the smallness of your offering is not a problem. You know the TV show Ready, Steady, Cook? The contestants bring a bag of food. The chef's turn it into some kind of amazing meal. Now, Ainsley Harriet was the presenter of that show when I used to watch it, and I thought he was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, the contestants would come on, they'd empty the contents of their bag proudly onto the table, and I would think, you have got to be kidding me. There is no way you're getting a meal out of that. There's a potato, a slice of ham, and two carrots. 
there's no way a meal is coming from that. But somehow by the end of the show, you always had an amazing plate of food and a fantastic meal for everybody to share. Let's imagine the disciples on Ready Steady Cook. Here's their bag. And they pull out what they have to offer. They have got five small loaves. And they have, ooh, they really do have, two little fish. There we go. Two little fish. And they pull them out. Here they are. That is not enough. That is not enough. It's not enough. What the disciples bring is not enough. You're not going to get a meal out of that. Never mind feed 5,000 men plus women and children. It is too small an offering. What the disciples could gather together was not enough. And whatever we can bring, it's not enough. We've got a tendency as human beings to want to do, we want to work it out, we want to solve the problem, we want to be able to come up with a solution, we want a plan or a formula to follow because we want to do it. And yet when we're faced with issues in our lives, we often realise that we can't do it. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever looked at something going on in your life and thought, I'm just not capable, there's nothing that I can do to solve this problem? Now that's a rhetorical question because I know the answer to that question. We have all, we've all felt that small. We've all felt that we aren't gifted enough. We don't have enough. We're not strong enough. We can't fix the problems that we find ourselves in. Never mind the problems that other people bring to us. We've all felt small. But the smallness of our offering is not a problem to God. Whatever we can bring we know that it's not enough. It's not enough to save us. It's not enough to save others. It's not enough to build the church. It's not enough to solve all the problems that we face in life. On Ready, Steady, Cook, they're able to make these amazing meals from rubbish ingredients because they've got great chefs who can draw on what they call the store cupboard ingredients. All those things that you might reasonably expect people to have in their store cupboard. Well, God, God is like the best five-star chef. And he has an endless store cupboard that contains, well, it contains everything. It doesn't matter how small we are or how little we're able to bring. Because he's the one, he's the God of miracles, the God of multiplication. So if you're feeling small, inadequate, and weak, that's a really good place to start. Because our God, he is big. He is more than adequate, and he is strong. The bigness of the problem is not a problem to God. And the smallest of our offering is not a problem to God. However, God does want us to bring the little that we have. He does call us to play our part. You see, Jesus could at this point have, um, he could have made a great scene of praying and watching while the five loaves and the two fish doubled and doubled again. Pop, 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 pop. 
can imagine loaves and fish everywhere. But that, that's not what we see in this story. What we actually see is Jesus fully including the disciples in the solution. He tells them to feed the people. You give them something to eat. They tell him what they have, a small offering. They bring that small offering to Jesus. Jesus gives thanks to God. And then he breaks it. And he begins to pass it out. And he doesn't give it directly to the people. He breaks each piece of bread, maybe into three or four pieces. And he breaks the fish into six pieces each, maybe. And each disciple gets, I don't know, two pieces a piece. But he gives it to the disciples, not directly to the people. And it's, it's as the disciples... I'm going to have to wipe my hands. <laughs> Smell of fish. It's as the disciples then give it out to the people that they see something amazing happen. What they see is it is not running out. As they step out, they see the unimaginable happening. There's enough. But it didn't happen straight away. You didn't see a massive great pile of bread and fish appear in front of Jesus and then they do it. What we see is we see him giving the small that they've given to him back to them to use. There are two elements to what the disciples bring to Jesus. They bring him the small offering. They bring him the bread and the narrow, smelly fish. And they also bring their faith. They bring their trust in him. They trust him. So when he tells them, give it to the people, they do it. And look what happens as a result of their trust, their faith in him. Thousands of men, women and children eat their fill. And God calls us in the same way to play our part. To bring the little that we have, to give it to him. And he gives it back to us to use to step out with it. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to use the abilities that we have, however small, the finances that we have, however little. And more than that, he wants us to bring the faith that we have, however small it is, the trust in him, even if it's just a little bit, to trust him and to do what he says. We've each got our part to play. We each have to be ready to bring the little we have to give it to Jesus and to trust him for the outcome. Now, every time that you talk about Jesus to someone who doesn't know him yet, every time that you pray for someone who is sick, every time that you give generously out of your finances, you are demonstrating that you trust God with the outcome. We know that we can't save people. We can't make people believe in Jesus. Only he can do that. We know that in our own strength, we can't heal people. But the Bible says, heal the sick. So we go and we pray for the sick and we trust God that he can do that. We know that the five pound or whatever it is that we can give is not enough to feed the many millions of people across the world suffering because of COVID right now. But we give it to God and we know that he multiplies and he can do that. You see, God is the God of miracles and multiplication. He is the God of abundantly more. 
let's just notice where this story ends. You see, once all of those people have been fed, once they're satisfied, the story could end at that point, but it doesn't. Each disciple collects a full basket of leftovers as well. Why does it say that point? There is more food left over at the end than there was at the beginning. Can you imagine that? But that is the nature, that's the nature of God. He's the God of abundantly more. So often, he does so much more with the little that we bring than we could ever have expected. And that's why in Ephesians, Paul breaks into prayer and praise. He says, now to him who is able to do abundantly or immeasurably more than all that we can ask or think or imagine according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul breaks into praise. He knows God's abundance. I'm going to go back to the story of Wananuba in Kenya and tell you a little bit more about that. On his second four-day trip into the semi-arid area, the people were asking him, why are you doing this? Why are you bringing us all this stuff? Why are you helping? And he explained it was because he wanted to show them that God loved them and that he cared for their needs. They asked him to stay for two extra days to tell them about this God, to tell them about Jesus, and he did that. This ended up with 300 people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. If that's not enough, when he returned home, he went back to that Hindu Indian shopkeeper, and, and he was asking him about it as well, and he explained to him about Jesus and the gospel. And he and his whole family came to follow Jesus. And then they invited their wider family, some of whom drove for five hours to come and hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And they were all saved as well. And then they invited him to go back out to the rural areas and to preach the gospel to their friends and family in the villages where they lived. And more than 30 more people were saved, baptised and added to the church that day. Abundantly more came from that act of just wanting to, one man wanting to give the little that he had to solve a big practical problem. Now we can hear these stories from far off places and it's easy to think, isn't it, that it doesn't happen here. That somehow that doesn't apply to us. Especially when we're talking about our little acts of faith leading many people to come to Christ. But I want to tell you that, that it does apply here. We can look at the state of our city, of our nation. We can look at people who are far from God, following other faiths, following no faith, rejecting faith altogether. And we can think, this is too big a problem. What we bring is too little. But the bigness of the problem is not a problem. And the smallness of our offering is not a problem. And we are called to play our part. Right now, it might seem like it's just small breakthroughs. We start to talk to a neighbour. We give them a listening ear or a small gift of friendship. Well, God grabs that little that we do. And soon we're able to speak to them about Jesus. We're even able to pray for them. One day, one day, they might choose Jesus for themselves. They might bring their whole family and community along with them. 
I believe that a day is coming where here in the UK, here in Manchester, we're going to see this stuff. We're going to see the sick healed and the dead raised and people coming to Jesus from every community, every ethnicity and every faith. It's happened before. In revivals of the past, in the mid-1700s, uh, with the likes of John Wesley in the late 1800s, the visits of uh, Dwight L. Moody and Ira D. Sankey, who came from the USA to the UK and preached the gospel. In the early 1900s, Evan Roberts in Wales, um, in Norfolk and Suffolk, and travelling up the east coast with the fishing fleets into Scotland in the 1920s, thousands saved, um, an unknown guy preaching called Douglas Brown. And in the Hebrides in the 1950s, where a couple of women prayed faithfully for a long time. And eventually, Duncan Campbell agreed to come and speak. Hundreds, thousands of people turning to God. Ordinary men and women like you and me. Wesley, he struggled with depression, with feelings of spiritual inadequacy and with rejection. Ordinary people. Moody was a shoe salesman. He first came to know Jesus in, a shoe sh in the back room of a shoe shop. Evan Roberts was a coal miner. Douglas Brown, um, he only had his first experience of meeting with the Holy Spirit a week before he was preaching the gospel to thousands of people and seeing thousands come to know God. Ordinary women like you and me, who brought the little that they had to the huge problem of spiritual loss in our nation, they gave it to God to use. So why not you and me here and now in Manchester in the 2020s? What God has done before, he can do again. And he does abundantly more than we can imagine. And where I want us to finish is with the invitation to expect more. Wherever your expectation levels are right now, up them a little bit. And then up them a little bit more. Take a step that you might not have taken before. Pray again for a situation that you've given up on. Speak to that person openly about your faith. Pray with your neighbour. Trust God with your finances. Give a little bit more than you think you can. And then come and tell us what God has done. Come and encourage us with the stories of God's provision, his healing, steps of faith and salvation coming.